So my birthday, my birthday's tomorrow. So my birthday's on Monday, which is Columbus Day, which was always pretty good in school because if my birthday landed on like a, a Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, or Sunday, Columbus Day was always that Monday, and I always had a three-day weekend. So my birthday is literally a national holiday, which is a pretty good deal. So since tomorrow's my birthday, today's Sunday, my wife's making me a cake, and she says, Quentin, what kind of cake do you want? And my natural reply is chocolate on chocolate. I like a chocolate cake with chocolate icing. Chocolate on chocolate, son. That's how I want my cake. And she says, well, I'll do my best, but I'm not much of a baker. Now she's 100% Italian, so she can cook up a storm. But she's like, I'm going to make you a cake since you want chocolate cake. And I said, chocolate on chocolate. So she's making my chocolate on chocolate cake. And, and I'm in here, right? I'm in my studio and I'm planning the show. And I hear a loud ruckus out there. I go out to the kitchen. The cake has been like it's fallen in two. She's pulled it out of the oven and it's in two pieces. She's laughing. She's dropped her phone in the cake. It's covered in icing. Like, and I say, well, the cake's going to be good no matter what. I don't care what it looks like. So she goes, okay, go away from me. I'm going to fix your cake. So my cake is broken in half. But then she molds it back together with chocolate icing like Bondo on a crashed vehicle. So then I go out to look at my cake, and I'm super excited for it right now because my cake looks like a 67 Chevelle. It's all low in the front and jacked up in the back, and it's the greatest thing ever. It's like my cake is Vern Troyer in the front and Shaquille O'Neal in the back. It's just got a little slant to it. It looks like a big mudslide, to be honest with you, that you might see in California. But me me personally, I don't care what it is. Chocolate on chocolate cake, I'm going to eat that cake no matter what because if I'm getting the electric chair tomorrow and the warden says, what do you want for your last meal, pal? It's a chocolate on chocolate cake with a gallon of whole milk, and that's how I'm celebrating my birthday tonight. Let's get to the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt, Sunday, October 7, 2018. I am your host, Quentin. I am recording this during the Milwaukee Brewer Colorado Rocky Game 3 series, but I've had to put that on pause because I got to record a podcast. There's so much stuff to talk about. Postseason baseball, for sure, is on another level this year. There, there are a lot of good teams in this thing, and I think coming into the postseason, everyone seemed to be pretty even, right? Like, I don't... There were a lot of surprises during the season, right? Like this postseason right now, we have the Milwaukee Brewers, the Rockies, and the um, Atlanta Braves in the mix of this NL postseason thing, which is completely wild, and a lot of that's unexpected. And then in the American League, you got the top dog Boston Red Sox at 108 wins. You have the wild card team, New York Yankees, that won 100 games. And then, of course, the Astros and the Cleveland Indians. That wasn't much of a surprise, but if you look... At the four American League teams, historically over the past three years, they've all been top dogs and they've all been really good. The 
New York Yankees were one game away from the World Series last year. The Cleveland Indians made it to the World Series in 2016. We know that the Astros made it and won the World Series in 2017. There's a lot of good teams in baseball right now. And I think there's some competitive baseball to be had because I think any team can beat any team this postseason. But we're going to make some bad predictions right now. And we're going to go postseason power rankings. Picked by yours truly. Now, the last predictions I made, I predicted the game 163s. I predicted both of those matchups correct. And I'm pretty stoked about that because out of all of Major League Baseball, which each team plays 162 games, what are there, like 3,000 games during a normal baseball season? I don't have a clue, but I'll tell you this right now. That's the first That's the first prediction I think I got right all season. And I've made a host of bad decisions. Like, for example, when I picked the Arizona Diamondbacks to go to the World Series. I made that pick about a month ago. And they proceeded to crap in the whole entire bed and didn't even make the playoffs. They did really bad. And then when I picked you, Darvish, if he got signed to a competitive team, I thought, based on his last year's struggles, that he would rebound, learn from his mistakes, and win the Cy Young this year. So I picked you, Darvish, to win the National League Cy Young, even before he was a Cub. I picked it. He had like nine starts and a touchdown earner on average, right? Like these aren't good things, right? So, but I did predict the game 163 is correct. So I think I'm on a little bit of a Nick Papa Giorgio Vegas vacation heater. I might win four cars and four tries. I don't really know. I get the Viper, the Major League Baseball postseason power rankings by Quentin. Here's what they got. I'm going to start from the bottom, and I'm only going to rank the five top teams. I can count, and I understand there are eight teams in the postseason, but I'm a little too lazy to do all eight of them and explain that. And also, like I said at the beginning of the show, today is my birthday. I've got a severely lopsided cake to put my face in, and that's what I'm going to do. So here it goes. Fifth best team, the Boston Red Sox. Listen, resist the urge to punch your keyboard. I do have the Red Sox as fifth in the postseason power rankings. Now you may be asking yourself, Quentin, they are a 108-win team, and they've been the best team in baseball front to back. Well, I do understand that. But what we've seen from the Red Sox, there are a couple little shaky things. So one, David Price, he pitched last night, right? David Price is now winless in 10 postseason starts. He's got a record of 0-9 with an earn run average of a touchdown. That's six points. That's, that's extremely high. He has thrown, I believe, about 59 and two-thirds innings in the postseason, and he's given up 40 earned runs. So he's, uh, he's, he's a batting practice pitcher, right? At this point, if Gary Sanchez wants to enter the home run derby, Uh, Next season in 2019, he should just have David Price pitch to him because in 14 plate appearances, right, the Kraken, El Gary, has six home runs and 14 appearances, 14 plate appearances against David Price. David Price in his seven-year, $217 million contract, it can't get any worse. This whole thing's peaked. With the Boston Red Sox, for them to succeed, 
Listen, they don't have the best bullpen top to bottom. They don't have the best rotation top to bottom. But as far as runs are concerned, I think the Red Sox are pretty loaded. They have the two best hitters in all of baseball, which would be uh, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. They picked up Steve um, Steve Pierce, who plays first base, him and Mitch Moreland. Both play first base, depending on who's pitching. Mitch Moreland's a gold glove first baseman, and Steve Pierce was one hell of a pickup because the guy can swing a bat. He's got some hot lumber, if you know what I'm saying. And there are plenty of good things around here. Eduardo Nunez has been playing a really good third base. Jackie Bradley Jr. is one of the best outfielders in all of the American League. I compare him to the Jason Hayward type. If you hit it to him, he'll catch it. Andrew Benatendi is a difference maker in the batting order from the left-hand side of the plate. Offensively, they're, they're good, right? They can put up some runs, but it's the pitching and it's the bullpen that makes me nervous. My buddy Cody Nations, he is a Boston Red Sox fan. He will tell you the same thing. It is the bullpen and the pitching that makes these boys nervous. David Price, at this point, I am super confused why Alex Cora would just throw him again against the Yankees in this best-of-five series. David Price only threw 49 pitches, so I expect David Price, if he pitches again in this New York Yankees series, it's coming straight out of the bullpen. With him being the Game 2 starter, he's obviously not going to get another start, but I could see him coming in in the bullpen. And that's absolutely where David Price should be the rest of this time because he's not going to get any better in the postseason. He he just can't do it. He can He can be hit and... I, I, I believe some guys just don't have the clutch gene when you're on a big stage and, you know, playing in, in at Fenway Park. Not everyone can do that. And it's not an indictment on David Price to be like, hey, man, you can't do that. You can't pitch on the big stage at Yankee Stadium or at Fenway Park, because guess what? There are a lot of guys that can't do that. You're pitching in the biggest market in all of baseball, the most volatile market in all of baseball, the angriest, the one that can chew you up and spit you out quicker than a jackrabbit on a date. That is the market that he's pitching in. So it's not really, it's more of an indictment on the Red Sox for signing him. But as far as David Price is concerned, the Boston Red Sox fans, if they're booing anybody, it shouldn't be David Price. It should be upper management that signed this guy because David Price is the same pitcher now when he, as he was when the Boston Red Sox signed him. So at this point, for the Red Sox, their best chance of winning this series or any series forward is strictly from David Price going out of the bullpen. The David Price experiment of saying he's part of this team, we need him to win, we need him to perform because he can perform. No, David Price can't perform in the postseason. That check's been written and cashed and bounced 10 times at this point. Put him straight in the bullpen. And don't tell me, well, we signed him for seven years and $217 million. I don't care what you signed him for. You got a $217 million bullpen guy now, and that's a problem. But I still stand with the Red Sox in fifth. Chris Sale makes me a little nervous. So Chris Sale had... First question here is, how did Chris Sale look? So in his first start, he went five and a third, eight strikeouts. I like the eight strikeouts. He threw 93 pitches. So as far as how did Sale look in the Red Sox start, I'm going to tell you that it wasn't good and it should have been significantly better, and here's why. You know in this um, starting pitching, once you get past Chris Sale, you're going to get David Price, Rick Porcello. You're going to get Edwin Rodriguez. I think that's probably their fourth starter. 
And those are guys that really aren't known for going deep into games. Like we know David Price can't do it in the postseason. Rick Porcello's a guy, I mean, he's he had a high earned run average this year. So I don't know that he's like your lock him down, shut him down guy. And the reason why I say that Chris Sale's five and a third wasn't that great is because Chris Sale in the postseason needs to give you seven, needs to give you eight innings. He 100% has to because since your starting rotation past Sale isn't the strongest in all of baseball, it's Chris Sale's job to pitch deep into games and give the bullpen a break. And if Chris Sale's not doing that, then I'm always going to tell you that he's not doing good enough. So that's, again, one of the reasons why I put the Boston Red Sox at number five in my power rankings is because Chris Sale only threw 17 innings since July 27th when he went and pitched on September 28th. That was his last start before the postseason. His fastball was about eight miles an hour slower. That is a significant difference. We don't really know what's going on with that shoulder. And the fact that he he went into the fifth inning of this past game against the Yankees and hadn't given anything up, but he couldn't get out of the fifth inning. I guess the Yankees pitchers had seen him a few times, and that's a, that's a problem for me. I don't like it at all. I think the time off definitely has to be affecting him. You know, you can't pitch 17 innings since summer and then come into the postseason because any sort of momentum you had or mental edge is kind of going to be washed away because we know in baseball, actually, it's not just baseball, it's any sport that you're in, a lot of teams that win a Super Bowl or a Stanley Cup or the Lombardi Trophy, they run off of momentum and these teams will, you know, maybe not have the best records come at the end of the season, but you'll see them at the last, you know, quarter part of the season really pull it together and get in a groove and everyone like mentally and physically they're running on all eight cylinders and Chris Sale 17 innings since July 27th didn't give him the chance to do that. It's like all of those years where like Peyton Manning and the Colts would go 14 and 2 and lose their first playoff game. And there was always conversation of, well, do you do you rest the players before the postseason? Because knowing that if you do rest them, well, they get the obvious rest. There's no chance of them getting hurt in a meaningless game. But the caveat in that, the side effect was always that slows the momentum down. Do we want to do that? And my feeling with the Boston Red Sox is that momentum has slowed a little bit. That's why I've got him at fifth at all. Uh, Alex Cora should not throw David Price again. And if this team loses for a third straight year in the American League Division Series, there are big problems in this clubhouse. I don't know what to do um, other than I know the offense would be in good shape, but it's a huge indictment on the pitching. And, you know, something would have to happen with it. Um, next season, if they lose this ALDS, they'll be shopping for starting pitching, and they've got a lot of money tied up in guys. So it would seem like if the Boston Red Sox come into this offseason, they're already quite an expensive team. I don't know what they'll do it pitching wise, but it seems like the Red Sox only option if they lose this division series this year is to kind of take the Oakland A's approach and be like, you know, what can we find? In the trade market or the free agent market to where, you know, there's like an under the radar pitcher that we can maybe mold and do something with because that happens with a lot of pitchers, you know, like the, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals are getting Miles Michaelis, the Chicago Cubs and getting Jake Arrieta. There are 
many are the Dodgers getting Rich Hill, you know, and then of course with what the Oakland A's did with like Edwin Jackson and Trevor Cahill, right? A lot of finding a good pitcher is just getting a guy that's got the tools there, but it's not quite obvious that the tools are there and you kind of almost have to make that match with the pitcher, your team, the division you play in, and it's just got to be that perfect storm of matchups. And I think it's not impossible to get good pitchers and not spend a lot of money on them. And, you know, that's for sure what the Red Sox would have to do next season is just find a good, valuable pitcher to someone they can work with, someone they can teach to pitch really good, just someone that's got the tools there but maybe just hasn't put it together. And that's what it would look like for the Dodgers if they lose this division series. Fourth in my power rankings – The New York Yankees. They have the momentum right now. They just won game two. They sent Masahiro Tanaka to the mound, who this season has been great against the Boston Red Sox. But one of the important things, one of the huge things, the most exciting things with the New York Yankees is Aaron Judge has hit three home runs in three postseason games. So, you know, it was one home run in the wild card game, which he hit in the first inning. He also had a first inning home run last night, off David Price, and then in game one of the ALDS, he hit a monster home run. I don't remember what inning it was in. Gary Sanchez hit two home runs last night, and then on top of that, you've got Andrew McCutcheon at the top of this lineup, and if you don't watch a lot of Yankees baseball or Giants baseball, you know if Andrew McCutcheon is just being, oh, he was a former MVP, but he dropped off. Andrew McCutcheon is still a big on-base percentage guy. It works out perfect at the top of the New York Yankees order because he, since he's batting first and you've got like Judge, Stanton, Sanchez, Hicks, whoever behind him that's ginormous and can hit a ball 450 feet, you what you get in Andrew McCutcheon is a keen eye, right? Andrew McCutcheon must eat a lot of carrots so he can take a walk, but he's also going to get pitches to hit too. And I believe he had a hit and a run last night as well. So I love McCutcheon at the top of that order and the personality he brings. So Andrew McCutcheon was a huge trade deadline pickup for the New York Yankees, but so was Luke uh, Voigt. What's that guy's name? Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt. Yeah, Luke. I think that's his name. He's he's a wild dude, buddy. He's a Husky guy. He's got about three buttons unbuttoned on his jersey with a big old gold chain. He's like the scary Italian guy in the town who runs the flower shop, but he can hit baseballs really hard too, and he's been nothing but like catastrophic in the batter's box for opposing pitchers as a New York Yankee. I think he played eight games in Major League Baseball before the New York Yankees picked him up. He was a Cardinal, but spent most of the season in AAA, and he's just been mashing as a first baseman. He's already got a home run, I believe. This at least, He's at least got one home run in the postseason. And, um, I mean, he can hit opposite field. He can turn on the ball. He, he's a funny guy, and he's just one of those guys where it's like the perfect personality for this Yankees clubhouse, which really is indicative of how the Yankees are playing because they always keep a fun clubhouse. And I think that's super important when you're in such a big market like the Yankees are Because at least from what we see with public perception in the news and the media, I don't know that the Boston Red Sox replicate that and have as healthy of a clubhouse as what the New York Yankees do. And that thing's huge. And Luke Voigt's done nothing but add more fun to the clubhouse and, you know, add more bomb to the Bronx. And that's huge, right? Luke Voigt's just been amazing, you know. So let that gold chain fly. 
let that husky dude roll. And, buddy, you just keep hitting home runs and just keep undoing those buttons, man. Luke Voigt is slinging the lumber, and, you know, he, he's hitting real good, right? Um, here's one of the things I've got right now. Obviously, with the bats getting hot, also what I like about this Yankees team is last night their seven, eight, nine hitters were Miguel Anderhar, Rookie of the Year candidate, Glaber Torres, Rookie of the Year candidate, and Brett Gardner, who's always been a really good leadoff hitter. Their seven, eight, nine hitters could be a lot of teams, one, two, and three hitters. And that's what you get with this Yankees lineup. They hit more home runs this season than any Major League Baseball team that's ever existed. And that's like 147 years worth of baseball, right? Back when polio was a thing and before the Model T was a thing and we were, I don't know, riding like bicycles and horse-drawn carriages. That's how like many home runs the Yankees hit. No one's hit more home runs since they were... We were riding horse-drawn carriages places, right? I'm trying to, like, an, make a good analogy for this. Like, it hit the ball really far, man. That's it. Huge, huge top to bottom on these kids. But I'm going to tell you this right now. The wild card impact. Ask yourself this. Does the fact that the New York Yankees weren't a wild card game, does that impact the rest of their season? Because they beat a hot, 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 hot. I'm feeling hot, hot, hot. Oakland Athletics baseball team who had the best record in all of baseball since like June. They beat a really good team 7-2 to two in that wild card game. And there are wild card teams that have won World Series championships, San Francisco Giants, St. Louis Cardinals. I believe both won the whole thing as wild card teams. The 2014 Royals made it to the World Series, but lost, and they were a wild card team. There's a real thing called wild card momentum, and as it sits right now, I really believe the New York Yankees have it because you're feeling high, right? It's all about that momentum, the momentum that the Boston Red Sox don't have because they've had guys hurt or on the disabled list or really just haven't had to play meaningful baseball since mid-September because they had it wrapped up. The Yankees haven't had that luxury, so they've kept having to play hard through this whole time, play hard through, you know, uncertainties with um, Didi Gregorius and Aaron Hicks and their injuries, and then obviously what happened to Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton's not 2017 Giancarlo, but he's still having a pretty good year with like an 850 OPS. The team hasn't had it easy, and they've still won 100 games, but I believe that that wild card game and that huge wild card victory, what it does to their psyche, what it does to just how they feel and, you know, getting hot from a baseball standpoint, because again, that's huge in any sport, getting hot at the right time and building this momentum, whether it's, whether it's confidence or whether if, if you're a baseball team and your goal is to win the World Series, Continuing to play meaningful baseball it builds that bridge from like what I'm doing now. It feels good and it feels like I'm playing for a World Series title. And it's kind of like that positive reinforcement crap where it's like, man, I'm doing this and it's really good, so let's keep it going. And then when you're the team that's had it locked up for a while, well, you can kind of snooze for a little bit and that sort of pulls you out of that situation. And I think it's a huge advantage to the New York Yankees that they won their wild card game. Number three on my 
playoff power rankings, the Milwaukee Brewers, my friends, these guys are the real deal. Christian Yelich is Barry Bonds right now. I'd bet $1,000 that he draws an intentional walk with the bases loaded at some point in these playoffs. 100% if the Brewers play all the way to the World Series, someone's walking Yelich with the bases loaded. When they've got like a three-run lead, and one out, and they could walk Yelich and only give up one run, there's a team that will buck Showalter that thing and just say, screw it, man, put him on. Because every time he swings the bat, he gets a hit. He can, he can hit for power. He's hitting home runs. He's hitting line drive singles. He can run the bases good. Every time I turn on a playoff game and he's up to bat, he's either been walked, got a hit, or hit a home run, and sure as shit, he comes around every time to score. He's already been walked and scored a run in today's Game 3 in LDS. That's just what he does. He is He's NBA jam on fire. You know when you're sinking him and the ball catches on fire? He's, he's like man on fire right now. Like He hits the baseball, and I swear it's on fire just like NBA jam. He... His ability to influence how the opposing pitchers pitch him trickles down to the rest of the lineup. And now all of a sudden you've got Ryan Braun, former MVP, former steroid guy who's now hitting really well. Ryan Braun was hitting exceptional towards the end of the Major League Baseball regular season, and he's doing the same thing in the postseason. And Christian Yelich is serving as the ultimate table setter for guys like Braun, Jesus Aguilar, who was hot uh, pre-All-Star break, cooled down a little after the All-Star break, but the guy still got pop in his bat. And because Christian Yelich is elevated so high and pitchers are focusing on him and pitching around him the best they can, he's getting on base. And now if Yelich is drawing walks, Braun and Jesus and all these other guys are going to get pitches because I already kind of had to pitch around Yelich, and they're getting pitches to hit, and they're taking full advantage of it. The guys are hot. The bullpen for the Milwaukee Brewers is even more crazy. Josh Hader, my friends, Josh Hader, the lefty, he throws a baseball like Randy Johnson, like Chris Sale, and it is so explosive, right? And on this podcast, I've always said my life on the line hitter is Daniel Murphy, meaning if someone had a gun to my head and they were like, I'm going to blow you up. If you, if a major league baseball player doesn't get a hit, who do you want that hitter to be? And I would say, I want the hitter to be Daniel Murphy, Daniel Murphy, get a base hit and save my life. So this guy doesn't blow my brains out. It would be Daniel Murphy to get a base hit and save me and my family because Daniel Murphy's such a good hitter. My life's on the line. Daniel Murphy's saving my life. Josh Hader struck out Daniel Murphy on four pitches in game 163, and Daniel Murphy looked like he had dementia. It was as if he didn't know where he was at. He had never swung a baseball bat before, and he just looked confused. He looked so confused, he was like Uncle Hal off the office, right? When Phyllis loses her grandpa, and he's just like confused walking in the road. That's what Daniel Murphy looked like to Josh Hader, and that's what Josh Hader does to batters. At one point during this season, he was striking out 21 guys per nine innings, and he comfortably strikes out just over two guys per inning. His stuff is so disgusting. When you watch him throw on TV, 
He throws from first base because he's got that left hand arm that just hooks around like Salen Johnson. So it's like he's stepping towards first base when he throws. And when he, he throws from the stretch, obviously, all the time. And when he starts to throw from the stretch, his body turns away. So the batter's really only seeing the numbers on his back. So his delivery is unbelievably deceptive. He throws 98. He can throw even up to 99, which I believe he did in the Cubs game 163. So because his delivery is so deceptive, plus his arm angle, he throws 98 and that ball gets to the hitter so fast. Daniel Murphy swung at a ball at his eyeballs and he swung at it because he couldn't see it. Because Josh Hader hides the ball so well, and he's got so many, he's got great off-speed stuff and great fastball stuff. You just can't see the ball. So the best thing hitters can do with Josh Hader is just when the ball's getting ready to be released, just go ahead and swing and see what happens. And you might get lucky and you might get into one. And that's how good Josh Hader is right now. All Major League Baseball hitters are doing is just throwing their bat out over the plate, shutting their eyes, and hoping for the best. And that's all you could do. Corey Knable, since getting called back up from AAA, hasn't allowed a run. In his last 15 innings in the regular season, he struck out 31 dudes. This postseason, he's on fire as well. He looks to be unhittable. And then Jeremy Jeffries, the Brewers closer, has also had a phenomenal season. He had a hiccup in game one, but it didn't really matter because the bullpen's so damn deep. They got a cat from... The Chicago White Sox, Joaquin Soria, who's phenomenal as well. So when you look at the Brewers and why I put them number three at my power rankings, it's because of their hitters. It's because of Christian Yelich in their bullpen. Josh Hader, Corey Knable, Jeremy Jeffries, Joaquin Soria, they will shut you down. It does not look good for the rest of the teams in the National League, right? Um, I'm going to show you something right now. So they're... I took this screenshot before I recorded because I'm going to upload it to social media. But right now, all of their bullpen, the only guys in their bullpen this playoff that have an earned run average is Jeremy Jeffries. Other than that, um, Yulis Chassin, a starter, stoned five innings of no runs. Joaquin Soria, stellar reliever for them, one and two-thirds, no runs. Corbin Burns, that's also another really good reliever for the Brewers, two innings, no runs. Josh Hader, one and two-third. No runs. Corey Knable, two and two-thirds. No runs. Brandon Woodruff, he's also a reliever. But he started game one in the NLDS, which was their bullpen game. So Brandon Woodruff's a bullpen guy. He threw three innings. No earned runs that start. Milwaukee's good. They're very much the number three team. And realistically, they could find themselves in the World Series. Hands down. The Brewers are the real deal. The Brewers didn't. The Cubs didn't beat themselves when they lost to the Brewers. The Brewers just stomped them because they're just that damn good. And right now, the the Rockies, man, they've been shut down offensively as well by the Brewers just because their bullpen. The Milwaukee Brewers look a lot, a lot like the 2016 Cleveland Indians. Good enough pitching staff, studs in the offense, and just an outrageously good bullpen. And great bullpens like the Cubs had when they won. 
like the Astros had when they won last year when they were like having starters pitching out of the bullpen and going two or three innings like you know Charlie Morton and Lance McCullers and then the Royals and their great bullpen the Brewers look like they're that team where they've got the greatest bullpen in all of baseball right now and you might just see them in the World Series number two in my power rankings no doubt about it it is the Houston Astros um, so far through two games in the postseason, they've thrown Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole out there. And between the two, I think they struck out 20 guys. Garrett Cole threw seven innings yesterday and struck out 12 dudes and didn't walk any of those dudes. And he's the only dude to do that ever in all of baseball besides Tom Seaver. He actually did it once. So what Garrett Cole did last night, 12 strikeouts, no walks. Two dudes have done that, him and Tom Seaver. Like, earth to everybody, Tom Seaver is like a top 10 probably pitcher ever that ever lived, starter-wise, right? It has to be. He's phenomenal. Was, is. He's still alive. Uh, that's a huge deal, right? But, like, it goes to the starting pitching of the Houston Astros because their starters are so good, they don't have to turn their games into a bullpen thing, right? Justin Verlander, he only threw five and a third his first game. But Justin Verlander is a guy that would throw 13 innings and 200 pitches if he had to. His stuff's really good. It moves. It's hot. It's lively. It comes in at 98. Justin Verlander, need I say more, the guy's built for the postseason where every other player that's playing in postseason baseball is like getting hyped and nervous. Like Justin Verlander is so cool. He could just like take a nap, play a game of chess, solve a Rubik's Cube, like just do anything because his mind is so clear. When it comes to the postseason, that's really what you get with Verlander is you know no matter what the situation is, especially if the Brewers get laid into a series to where like a series is tied or if they're ever in like a deciding game and Verlander didn't start, it doesn't matter the type of rest that Verlander has. He can come out of the bullpen and do just like legendary things in a postseason because he's so versatile, because he's so tough, and I mean – the guy never gets injured. Justin Verlander is really one of the last pitchers who's like this old school, I'll go seven, eight, nine innings and throw 120 pitches. I don't give a crap. That's what you get with Verlander. And then little brother Garrett Cole over here kind of does the same thing. He struck out 270 guys in the regular season. And when you've got Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander as your one and two starters, and you're the opposing team that's got to play him, man, that sucks because it doesn't look good for you. But then once you get past those guys, you got to deal with Dallas Keuchel, 2015 Cy Young winner. Like that guy's the real damn deal. Dallas Keuchel can pitch in the postseason. He has good postseason numbers. Then after that, you got to deal with ground Chuck, Charlie Morton, who will get you to ground out and strike you out quicker than you know what happened. And before you've got your helmet on, you might as well take it back off because you're marching back to the dugout because he just struck you out, man. Charlie Morton struck out over 200 guys this season and well had a phenomenal year and can throw 98 so he can get you with velocity. Um, he, he can do a lot on the mound. And the four guys that you've got to face if you're a team going against the Houston Astros, right, it's pretty devastating. It would make me cry if I was like one of the guys, right? If I if I had to face those guys, I would cry and leave. But then it doesn't end there because there's not – to talk about the Houston Astros offense, there's not another team in all of baseball that you can do this with. But what I did all season is if I knew the Astros were getting smoked and it was the ninth inning and they were up to bat – I always turned on the TV because I don't know if there's another team in all of baseball that when they're losing and it's the ninth inning, 
like shit's live, man. And they could come back no matter what because that's what their lineup does. And I think they get better when they're losing. Like Alex Bregman is the epitome of like, oh, we're losing and it's a big moment. Let me handle it because I'll just bash baseballs forever. And that's what Alex Bregman does. Alex Bregman is so good in the clutch and the whole team is so good in the clutch because I would purposely during the regular season, turn on an Astros game when they were losing in the ninth because I wanted to see them come back because they did it so much and they will give you a run for your money, right? In the Houston Astros psyche, there's no such thing as a bad day. There's no such thing as a Monday. There's no such thing that it's the ninth inning and we're losing. We might as well go home. To them, like it's the first inning of opening day every damn day and they're just fired up. And the Astros, you can try to beat them but there's always a chance, a really, really good chance in the ninth inning that they can come back. And I can't say that to the effect that I say it with the Astros about any other team in Major League Baseball. So I don't use this slightly, but the Astros are never down and they can always come back and they can come back more often and they can come back with more vengeance and they can do it better than any team in the postseason is right now. So I've got the Astros number two, in my power rankings, which leaves us to number one, my friends, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers. As it sits right now, in my eyes, the Dodgers are the best playoff team in all of baseball. So game one, Hinjin Ryu pitched um, seven innings, and it didn't walk a guy, and got up to 104 pitches and only allowed four hits. That's a good sign. And Hinjin Ryu, if you don't know him that well, his last name is spelled R-Y-U, like Ryu, like Hadouken, off Street Fighter. See the guy that says that? I don't know. I was more of a Mortal Kombat guy. Um, MA-17, rip your heart out of your chest like Kano. Didn't play a lot of Street Fighter going up. But I can tell you this. The guy's good. He's looked good. He missed all of, I think, 2014 and 2015 with injuries. And he was left off the playoff roster in 2016 probably because of those injuries and just really hadn't found his groove. In this season, he did miss some time, but he's healthy now. And since he's been healthy, he's been phenomenal. He pitches at home really, really well. So at home, where the Los Angeles Dodgers play, he has a 1.02 ERA. And that is super important in any series that they might find themselves in, especially the current one they're in. At um, who are they playing? The Dodgers are playing the Dodgers playing the Rockies. Why did I just go blank right now? No, no, Dodgers are playing the Braves. That's what happens when you have a podcast. I I just know this, right? It's really important and good news that Hinjin Ryu can pitch exceptionally well at Dodger Stadium, and here's why. Um, the Los Angeles Dodgers won't have home field advantage at all through the playoffs. So if they advance to the NLCS, which would probably be against the Milwaukee Brewers, well, the Brewers are the number one seed in this thing, right? And how that works is this. As it would tally up because of, since Hinjin Ryu was the game one starter for the Dodgers, I don't know that he would be due up to throw game one um, in an NLCS. So if you were hypothetically like, Let's say he wasn't fully rested yet because of depending how the best of five series go that they're in now. You could get to the NLCS and you might, however the rotation lands, you might have to start Rich Hill 
or a team might even go with like Clayton Kershaw in game one or game two because it would be a road game. And Clayton Kershaw has much more playoff experience. And what this tells me is this. If the Dodgers, since they won't have home field advantage, if they come back home and let's say they're down two games to none, right, and they have to come back home, Hinjin Ryu is so good in Dodger Stadium. He's the perfect person to where if things aren't going good for the Dodgers and they get a little bit behind in a series because they don't have home field advantage, Hinjin Ryu can come in and shut a losing streak down because he's so good at home. And for that reason, that's why I like him so much because I feel like he would be a good guy to stop the bleeding and bring the Dodgers, breathe life back into the Dodgers if they get themselves in a 2-0 hole because they have to go to Miller Park and play a couple games in the NLCS because they didn't win home field advantage. The Brewers are the number one seed. On top of that, Clayton Kershaw had an eight-inning, 85-pitch start two nights ago against the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves have a loaded offense. They've got guys that can hit baseballs, man. They're good, right? But Clayton Kershaw had the best start of his postseason career. This was the quintessential Clayton Kershaw eight innings, 85 pitches. He only struck out three guys because he induced so much soft contact, which is what kept his pitch count low, which is a reason why Hinjin Ryu went seven innings on 104 pitches. He was able to keep that pitch count low because he's inducing soft contact. And Walker Bueller can do the same thing. Rich Hill can do the same thing. And what makes that so important is all four starters on the Dodgers, Rich Hill, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, and Hinjin Ryu, they can go deep into games because they can pitch to contact. They don't rely on the Garrett Cole 12-strikeout type thing or whatever, right? And I like their ability to pitch to contact because they don't have to rely on the strikeout. And especially since they're so skillful at pitching to soft contact, if a guy happens to get on base, which will inevitably happen when you pitch to contact, the ball's kept on the ground or soft pop-ups. So it's like they're not as much of a risk of giving up two-run and three-run home runs because they induce so much soft contact. And to me, that's huge when a pitcher doesn't have to rely on the strikeout because at some point... Those hitters, when they see you the second or third time through the lineup, they're going to kind of have a beat on your velocity and might pop something on you. But just the starters for the Dodgers, their stuff is so disgusting. I, I like their ability to pitch to contact because it's soft. So they're going to let up less home runs, less two and three run home runs when guys get on base. But also on top of that, their bullpen can stay fresh. But then on top of that, their bullpen is just that good. So with the Los Angeles Dodgers, you've got starters that can go deep into games because of just their innate abilities to pitch to contact, and they can keep a low pitch count, which will preserve a bullpen just in case if one or even two of your four guys, it doesn't always work out, right, like we think it will because it's playoff baseball. But then their bullpen is damn good. Kenley Jansen, I think... Him and Aroldis Chapman are probably the two best closers in all of baseball. Put Kimbrell in that mix, and you've got the three best. Kenley Jansen's a phenomenal closer. He's had hiccups this year, and he's given up more home runs than what he's used to. But who is not giving up more home runs than they're used to, right, in this day and age in baseball? Everyone sort of is. 
But then even in that bullpen, you've got guys like Kenta Maeda, who is naturally a starter, who can come into the bullpen and give you two, three, four innings if you need him to. Alex Wood, he's the same way. He was He's a starter, but he can go in the bullpen, give you two, three, or four innings because that's just what they're built for. And then you've got other guys like Pedro Baez, who's a hard thrower, who comes out of the Dodgers bullpen. So they're because the Dodgers bullpen, they've got good one-inning guys like Kenley Jansen and Pedro Baez who can both go multiple innings. But then you've got starters like Kenta Maeda and Alex Wood who can also pitch out of the bullpen in this superb multi-inning relief low, uh, relief role. Add that to the phenomenal starting pitching of the Dodgers, and you've got a recipe for success, which is the reason why I've got the Dodgers number one in my power rankings. And it's super important to have, if you have multiple relievers that can go multiple innings, who, who did that recently, right? The Houston Astros did that recently. Uh, they had like um, last season in their World Series when you had a Charlie Morton multi-inning relief role, Lance McCullers multi-inning relief role, Colin McHugh multi-inning relief role because when uh, Ken Giles, 100-mile Giles, was, you know, not doing good in last season's World Series, you had all these starters in the bullpen that could go multiple innings and were just picking everybody up, and they won a World Series on it, man. They really did. So that's my power ranking. So I've got number five in my playoff power rankings as the Boston Red Sox, number four, the New York Yankees, number three, the Milwaukee Brewers, number two, the Houston Astros, and number one, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They are my World Series pick right now to win the whole thing and we are at minute 44 so we'll go ahead and shut this thing down thank you so much for listening on the greatest show blah blah i quit thank you for listening to my podcast it is called the greatest show on dirt you are listening to it find us itunes google play spotify stitcher overcast fm we are on twitter at greatest on dirt instagram greatest show on dirt and facebook greatest on dirt find us in all of those places leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or Facebook. Leave us a review. Screenshot that review. Make it a five-star review, please. Can you do that? And leave some kind words. And if you know me, like don't cuss at me or make fun of me. But if you leave me a five-star review with a comment and you screenshot that comment and send it to me through a direct message, I'll send you a couple Greatest Show on Dirt stickers. Again, you can rate us on iTunes, Google Play, or on Facebook. Let us know you gave us a good review. I'll mail you some stickers for free. And let's wrap this show up. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have an awesome night, and we will talk more playoff baseball soon. Take care.